1: Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee, and we have a very special guest on today's pod. He is the newest NFL columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. You can hear him at the volume. He also writes about esports. Sports. It's Mike Silver, the one and only. He's going to join us for a conversation about, gosh, Trey Lance and, and Steve Young and Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners defense and golden state warriors a quick little light minute segment in there it just really really terrific conversation it could have gone four hours but uh mike was super generous with his time it didn't last four hours fyi but it was uh still a great conversation uh chris is also out of practice this week so we're going to talk about that and then we'll get into mike let's go
0: hey this is george kittle and you're listening to candlestick chronicles
2: Sack
1: him back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. Quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Chris, you were at practice on Sunday where Trey Lance went four for 12. Is it Nate Sudfeld time?
3: (laughs) It wasn't great. (laughs) but it wasn't like so i mean if you've listened to the last few episodes since training camp started like i'm very much in the camp that we're probably overanalyzing a little like a a lot of this and this like what they practice looks very different than what happens in games just the way kyle shanahan approaches play calling um the the fact that there's just an overall lack of game planning like it's a pretty basic installation of the offense and the other side of that context is that the Niners defense is really good right mm-hmm. so when Trey Lance throws in completions a lot of times it's like yeah dudes just aren't open and there's a really good pass rush and he has to improvise right um and there's probably once or twice a practice where it's like yeah that wasn't a great throw like he missed his guy right? But I don't get the sense that anybody's overly concerned. And like he had a good practice on Saturday by all accounts in terms of, you know, completion percentage and whatnot. Um, And Sunday, Sunday was another practice where Saturday. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Sunday was another practice where Trent Williams didn't participate. Mike McGlinchey didn't. uh, George Kittle was in street clothes. Right. So they had a day off on Monday. So the way they've been doing it is like give guys a day off surrounding one of these off days. So they get multiple days off in a row. Um, you know i I'm not overly concerned with like Trey Lance's completion percentages in practice. I'm more concerned with like what's the body language like? like are teammates demoralized or are, are does right. is there is there anybody, aside from like what they might say at the podium, is there any like concern over you know body language or is is anybody, giving off bad vibes or like, yeah, this guy isn't the answer. And I'm not getting any of that. So I, I, I just think games are going to look a lot different than these practices. And we focus on the practices because it's what's happening and people have access to them and, you know, all that stuff tracks. Right. But it's just not, you know, with without your two tackles and your star tight end and Debo Samuel still, you know, they're, it's not like they're running bubble screens of Debo Samuel or jet sweeps or like you know those things that they're actually going to use in games, which could help somebody's completion percentage.
1: <laughs> Everyone will every 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 person, every NFL fan will tell you to to a man, for the most part, or a woman that preseason games don't matter because it's preseason; everything's not So if that's the case, I have a hard time putting a ton of stock into training camp practices. But at the same time, that's what we have to go off right now. And I think more than, and we've talked about this on the pod before, more than the raw numbers, it's what do the incompletions look like? And as long as it's not he went four for 12 and missed seven wide open guys, I think you can live with that. Because the completion rate, the that's a, even with the layups, like the completion rate's not gonna be sixty-eight, sixty nine, seventy percent. I just don't think that's realistic for him, especially in year one. It's I think he was at 57.7 last year. Can he get that to 60, 61, 62? If he can, the Niners are in great shape. And that's that's what's ultimately gonna matter. So I'm interested to see in a preseason game, depending on how much he plays. When there's an open, when there's an open guy, does he hit him? I mean, that's that's I think what this year is going to come down to.
3: Yeah, and we'll find out later this week how much Kyle Shanahan plans on playing Trey Lance. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Trey Lance didn't play at all on Friday. Really? Yeah. I just Trent Williams not going to play. Mike McGlinchey's probably not going to play. George Kittle isn't going to play. Debo's not going to play. Maybe IU plays. But like, is it really that important to give Trey Lance one series behind? You know, like if he's not going to have any of his supporting cast, then you're kind of throwing him out there just to get him reps and like, yeah, he needs game reps, but how valuable are preseason reps anyway, when he's going to hand the ball off four times, you know, like to me, I just don't, I don't find preseason reps in that scenario, all that valuable. I think if you do play all those guys and you actually do run an offense and you play for you know, three possessions, like that's when reps I think are valuable, but to like, to play him a series or two, and we'll talk about this later in the week, but I just don't think that Kyle Shanahan, I think the league is generally moving towards what Sean McVay does or what he did, what he started when he basically stopped playing all of his important starters in the preseason. I think Kyle Shanahan is certainly going to err on that side. And I think that's probably going to include not Getting much, if anything, from Trey Lance on Friday.
1: It'd probably be a good sign if they feel comfortable not playing him, right? Yeah. Like it's not so bad that hey, he needs this work. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, which might be happening in other places like Pittsburgh or um yeah. Seattle or whatever. Um, I also watched Drake Jackson a little bit
1: more than I had at other practices. That backflip video, just real quick, is insane just totally bananas athlete anyways he's, he's
3: got insane bounce for a guy his size and there crazy were like, bunnies there were <laughs> there were other there were other players who did the same thing but like and were like 40 pounds lighter than him but didn't do it nearly as well or like didn't get nearly as high so just like potentially just a completely insane freak athlete i think he's like he might be good he might be a dude like (laughs) it's a dude he might be a dude i don't know (laughs) if it'll come this year but like if drake jackson turned into a guy that averaged 10 sacks a season like would that shock you kind (laughs) of yeah a little it wouldn't shock me
1: 10 sacks a year 10 sacks a year would be nuts for the 61st pick
3: right and that's yeah agreed. um that would be bananas yeah that would be bananas um so <laughs> i've watched him and again he was going against backup tackles but it was like he definitely looks like he belongs right and like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just it's still kind of amazing that like okay samson ebukam is probably going to be the starter you feel pretty good about him based on the way last season ended Komoko Torre is a former second round pick who's like not at all a bad player the issue with him has been more about availability and maybe you could get production from him in a bit role and not have to worry about durability so much if he's playing I don't know 20 snaps a game um Carrie Hyder led the 49ers in sacks in 2020 and he's back right like the pass rush could really just come in waves and not not you know like every coach wants to say oh yeah we got pass rushers that come in waves. like it really might actually come in waves for the Niners like yeah, you could I- have you the, if if everybody's healthy they they will have starting caliber defensive ends on the field at all times
1: and that was when their defense was at its peak in 2019 which is how relentless they were yeah so we talked we talk, we talk quarters
3: yeah we talked with mike silver a little bit about that um really good conversation and mike if you know anything about mike you know he's he's good at conversations um, <laughs> so he definitely brought the heat and uh and we appreciate him for it he just you know, all that we we spoke on Saturday and our Sunday, and you you know he we had been talking about him coming on the pod for a while now. I didn't know he was he was joining the Chronicle, and so uh, we got him his first day on the job, which was which was a pretty cool thing. So, um, enjoy Mike Silver talking about Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan and John Elway and Dan Marino. Dropped a the Dan, Dan Marino, Marino story is great. Yeah, the Dan Marino story is good. Um, if you're
1: going to if you're going to name drop, at least come with good stories about it. And my man delivered. Yep. Yep. All right, let's
0: talk to Mike. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash blue wire. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: It's only a kick.
2: A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You
1: got this. Adidas.
3: All right, we're we're pretty lucky to have Mike Silver here with us on a Monday, because Mike, you and I talked at 49ers practice on Sunday. Uh, about this podcast and i honestly had no idea that you that it was being announced on monday that you were a new columnist for the san francisco chronicle um so congratulations man you've kind of come full circle you did the local beat <laughs> reporting thing you did national stuff at a whole bunch of different stops and now now you're back in the bay area so um congratulations
2: thank you well first of all um yeah you know i'm just here for you programming wise so <laughs> you know i knew Yeah, that'll be a good day to do it. No, you know, you and I had talked about doing it. And then um, I said, let's just do it in person, because I thought I'd come down there for Bali, um, my other employer, one of my other employers. And then I my COVID luck finally ran out. I finally got COVID for the first time, and I couldn't get cleared forever. So then I saw you and I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I owe you a podcast. So yeah, at that point, I knew this was happening. Um, You know, I am. I do believe that column writing is my natural habitat. I don't mm. know if you guys know, but I tend to be a little opinionated. Sure. And, <laughs> you know, I like to. I like to have some fun. So, and, and you know, I did do that at the Daily Cal in college. Um, I ultimately did it at the Santa Rosa Press Democrat after starting as a. As a beat writer although as a columnist i still had i still had the warriors beat they didn't travel with them it was home games but it was awesome it was the weber year uh and they we ended up traveling to the playoffs uh, against the suns so um that was cool but then i went to si which was a dream job and it was amazing but you know the columns i was writing ultimately were on the internet which was kind of a lower priority for them um I I did it again at Yahoo, then I went to NFL Network, and I wrote some columns on NFL.com, but it definitely does, that part of it feels really cool, and then the, you know, the Niner training camp thing, I mean, you know, you and I could both relate to this geographically, so Rockland was uh, the training camp home of the Niners, and training camp was long back then, you know, five weeks, and so usually like Jared bell, Richard Weiner, some of the reporters that I would rent an actual apartment in Roseville, um, you know, for a month plus and, uh, and just move up there. And so, you know, triple digit heat, no shade. I used to wear the giant straw hat, uh, the quarterbacks nicknamed me Huck Finn that first year. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it was Joe Montana, Steve Young, Steve Bono, and this guy, Kevin Sweeney. And, uh, you know, I think Kevin Sweeney and Steve Bono probably still call me that. And uh <laughs> yeah, um it is really cool to be back. And I and I do miss yeah, I was talking to Fred Warner about this actually on Sunday, and and he even said he said, I know not to complain about these practices because I've heard what it used to be like, and I was like, Yeah, dude, two a days, scorching hot sun pads, you know, and, and long practices, and uh, you know. I loved the going away to camp thing. And there's still a few teams who do. um, And I understand why it's worse for the players and worse economically for the teams. But man, from our perspective, you know, we were eating in the cafeteria kind of overlapping with them, seeing players there, seeing players walking around, seeing coaches walking around a campus. It just, it gave you so many more chances to interact um, and to just humanize the whole thing. And that's gotten harder in general, in NFL coverage and certainly we are all coming off of a you know two plus year stretch that has made what's already hard really really hard and I know it's not digging ditches but you know it is really hard to do this job with with restricted access and understandably uh, because of the pandemic but man I am looking forward to getting inside a locker room very
3: soon. Yeah I don't I don't know if fans I mean, I'm sure some fans know, but one thing that's really been missing from NFL coverage has been the open locker room. Like that's, you know, we, we've all been sort of writing the same stories off um, zoom press conferences for a while. And um, you know, anybody with an internet connection can drop in and ask a question and it just changes. It, It changes how, how these relationships get formed with players and stuff in the locker room. And, and, to just the stories in general obviously there are people with unique access like yourself but the stories in general have just been lacking so that's one thing i'm really um looking forward to to just having back and being able to tell some of those better stories with with the enhanced access so you wrote your first column about kyle shanahan and you mentioned um you called him the pied piper of pizza ovens is that pizza right pizza oven Pied Piper. pizza oven Pied piper excuse me so um I think ultimately the most interesting thing about the 49ers season this year is just and you hit on it in your column is is the threading the needle of having a first year starting quarterback with a roster that's ready to contend. And so I I just want to ask your opinion like given your experience covering the league and how well you know Kyle Shanahan um and his history and even Mike and everybody else like how confident are you that Kyle can thread this needle? And and what do you think the 49ers' confidence level is going into the season? From my, from my perspective, it seems like their confidence is pretty high. But yeah. curious how you feel about it.
2: Yeah, no, great questions. Um, you know, and I covered Mike uh, first as the 49er offensive coordinator, kind of reviving his career after having been the Raiders' uh, head coach and that kind of imploded with Al. But 94, Mike came in and Joe Montana had gotten hurt um, for the second consecutive season, an elbow injury for those of you who have been following the defending Super Bowl champions uh, down (laughs) south um, and really cost him two years. And Steve Young um, had come in and won the passing title in 91 but had lost a lot of games. They went 10-6 and but didn't make the playoffs. And there was a lot of skepticism. And, um, you know, I was a big Steve Young (coughs) defender And people, a lot of you know, he wasn't Joe's, so a lot of people didn't like that. And you know, Joe's a a mythical figure, and and I get all that. But Steve, you know, they said he didn't read defenses; he was too quick to take off and run. He wasn't running the system. And um, I used to just fight and say, "Look, if a guy's that talented and that gutty and you know that uh, good at so many things, you know, you got to be able to figure out how to get him to read better." But I'll take my chances. Well, Mike Shanahan formed this incredible bond with Steve, and it was kind of like two guys who'd been you know, through the ringer a little bit, and they had faith in each other, and it, Mike used to make it personal. You know, this is what this guy's going to try to do. We're going to embarrass him. And lo and behold, Steve started reading, and then he was like MVP level, and ultimately his last year with Mike threw six touchdowns. In a Super Bowl blowout, and essentially became a first ballot Hall of Famer, so um, that was really cool. And then I, I covered Mike uh, through the Denver years and those two Super Bowls, and you know, so I've known Kyle since he's fifteen or so, and uh, you know, I, I watched him kind of grow into this. You know, paradoxically, someone who was really, really good at it, just you know took his father's innovative system and even took that to different levels and just had a real knack for doing it starting in Houston, but also was kind of always viewed through this prism of uh, illegitimacy and controversy by a lot of people, even in the business. You know, is, there's ne- is it nepotism? Is he entitled? He can't get along with players. Um, he wants players to be robots and do it exactly his way. And he kind of famously clashed with, Donovan McNabb and RG three and you know, he got Johnny Manziel thrown at him and then Roddy white and then Matt Ryan that first year. Um, and yet did some incredible things. One of which I talk about in the column, which applies now, which is in 2012, uh, they kind of had RG three foist upon them by Dan Snyder. And they were, you know, this is now think about this staff. This is Mike Shanahan is the head coach. <laughs> Al Shanahan's the offensive coordinator among the, uh, Position coaches are Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, Sean McVeigh, Chris Furster, who of course is now the 49er run game coordinator, um, Raheem Morris was on the defensive staff. I mean, just star-studded. But, you know, they had to problem solve. And and Mike Shanahan really gave Kyle a lot of leeway and said, figure this out. And it wasn't until the very end of the off-season program that Kyle finally decided this guy's only run plays out of the pistol. He doesn't really go through progressions, yet he's incredibly fast and can throw it. And he decided they were going to take their entire offense and run it out of the pistol, which is sounds simple, but it's so high concept. It's It's kind of a crazy thing they had to do, including changing some terminologies, changing directions that, you know, are... Embedded in your head when you call a play with this, with odd numbers or even numbers, you go this way. Well, now we're go, we're going left to go right. So they really had to do something dramatic in a short time. And then when it, they did it, it just took the entire league by storm. And I know people look back and go, well, what, what did they really do? Well, they won a division after being three and six. They were leading that great Seattle team in a playoff game, RG3. hurt his knee, they lost that game, and then everything kind of imploded the next year. But in coaching circles and in NFL grinder circles, people just go, that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. They did that, and no one ever adjusted. So I've seen that. So now I I go to Trey Lance, which is a great setup the way you asked it. So you have to play the guy because of what you've invested in him. Uh, Similar to RG3, this time you've waited a year. Um you have a team that is built to win right away with so many good players, um, not all of whom are guaranteed to be around uh, next year even, if you look at all the you know contract stuff and injuries and all that. and you know, a team that could have could have certainly won it last year. You've also got an offense that's constructed, in my opinion, to maximize Jimmy Garoppolo's skill set and specifically, hanging in decisively, delivering the ball into tight spaces very accurately, and guys like Debo and Ayuk and Kittle being able to catch and run. And so there's there's plenty of things that Jimmy didn't do as well that I think you could argue Trey Lance on paper could do better. He's going to be more athletic. He's got a bigger arm. He can throw the deep ball better. I think, and I don't want to slight Jimmy here because I'm kind of a known Jimmy file, but (laughs) if you just ask people like, who do you think is the intelligent one who can really see everything based on how you scouted them, Trey Lance is going to win that contest pretty much every time. Jimmy is more handsome, but then again... I don't know any other, you know, male <laughs> that you would say, you know, could compete. So, uh, you know, you look at Trey and go, well, he could be better in all those ways, like pretty quickly. But there has been some concern slash skepticism about how accurate is he and can he get those accurate balls into tight spaces? So I think to fight through these growing pains and give them the best chance to win now, certainly... And just from a competitive standpoint, I just think Kyle's going to have to problem solve again and change his offense some to showcase those obvious strengths now and to try to be less reliant on what could be a weakness. And so that what that's what fascinates me. Um, you know, you're doing it in an environment that's, you know, I mean, I, I always tell people, like, you think you've seen a quarterback, you know, Shit show. I covered Montana Young. They were together for six years and it was, (laughs) I mean, it was not chummy. And, you know, I mean, people have no idea. But I will say this we were not charting practice and training camp completions and, you know, freaking out if one of them, you know, threw a pass that skipped off a receiver's shoes and putting it out there on social media. And so that is a thing. I mean, Trey's going to have to. He's definitely, at best, going to have growing pains. And at best, those pains are going to be magnified and treated as a big deal. And I know a lot of people might say, dude, you're the guy who talked about like arm fatigue. You're the alarmist. <laughs> Whatever. You can say that you think I am or not. But I do think the you know overreaction to practice completions, good or bad, for example, is not going to serve him well as they try to do this.
1: I want to go back to something you were talking about with Mike Shanahan and Steve Young and the way Mike Shanahan kind of embraced Steve Young a little bit. We saw him win a Super Bowl with him. We also saw him win a Super Bowl with John Elway, who was also a mobile, big-armed quarterback. Yep. Do you think those two players kind of informed Kyle Shanahan taking Trey Lance and knowing, like, hey, this is what I can morph this guy into?
2: Um, maybe, but I also think, uh, probably playing a Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes and playing against (laughs) Lamar Jackson and uh, seeing Josh Allen and, you know, Deshaun Watson to an extent um, while having a quarterback. I mean, let's see two things. Elway now remember Elway had been to three Super Bowls and gotten killed three times with Mike there as a coordinator or position coach. And they were very close. Mike came back to Denver and said to John, dude, That way is not going to get us over the top. The only thing that matters is winning it. We got to have a running game. And John bought in. And that's when Mike took that Walsh West Coast scheme and put in the outside zone, which Bob McKittrick had not been, uh, you know, using in San Francisco. But Alex Gibbs... Uh, his line coach in Denver. Now you had outside zone, and that's where that all came from. And then you had Terrell Davis and then all those other guys who got plugged in, and you're like, how are they doing it? So definitely Kyle, you know, came from that. And, you know, he and Mike McDaniel took that and took it to a space-age level, as we've seen. But um, I think it's more, you know, I I just think the things that frustrate Kyle about Jimmy – And again, there's some things about Jimmy that are awesome that I tend to, you know, highlight. But I think if you're Kyle, you're frustrated by certain things about Jimmy. One, is he seeing it the way I want him to see it? Two, uh, is he able to get the ball way downfield into, you know, deep windows? Like I want him to three, um, is he grinding through the off season? Uh, last year being an anomaly when they had drafted Trey, but Jimmy tends to uh, be a little more removed during the off season. Um, And four, can he escape pressure slash not get pummeled to the point where he's getting hurt a lot. So um, I think Trey's more an answer to that. Now um, let's go back to another celebrated thing that I've uh, publicly speculated on. So when Kyle made that trade, um, Remember the timing was weird when the when Washington made that trade that got them RG three everybody knew it was RG three. Well, Luck's going one that trades for RG three. When Kyle made the trade, it kind of just got thrown at people, and it was like, well, wait, we think it's going to be Lawrence and Wilson one two, which I assume Kyle thought too. And so it's one, it's Mac Jones or it's Lance or it's Fields. We think well, um, my initial reaction was I was just so excited that Kyle liked one of those guys that much, or really three of them. My view on it was, wow, Kyle loves three, at least three. He loves Lawrence and Wilson because he knows you can't count on them going one, two, and you have to prepare for that contingency. And he loves one, at least one of those other three guys. Now, one of two things happened. (laughs) Well, one of three things. There's three possibilities. Number one, which I believe and a lot of people have tried to not talk me out of who know a lot uh, is that that person was Mac Jones at the time um, and that as he went through the process whether he talked himself out of that or just became so enamored with Trey Lance he changed his mind possibility number two is that it was Trey Lance the whole time and that belief was fortified by what he saw in the scouting process, possibility number three, which is kind of the what we've been asked to believe, which I don't buy, is Kyle just wanted to know that he had a shot at one of them, so he made the trade, freaked out, and then figured, well, I'll just end up liking one of them. <laughs> I call BS on that. I just, it just you wouldn't do that, like then, in my opinion. And I know Kyle. I know how smart he is. I know how intentional he is. Uh, he did tell me last year, you know. I saw what the Rams and the Seahawks have been doing with Jamal Adams and Stafford and it's the NFC West. And I was like, okay, screw it. I got to do something bold, but you just, you got to know in that moment who you're thinking of now. Um, If it was originally Mac and then Trey, there's nothing wrong with that. He might've ended up loving four, and he chose between two great options for him. Um, why did he pick Trey? One thing I know for sure that played a major role is that he became convinced that the way his that his intelligence, the way his brain works, um, that side of him was not just great but elite. And I think, yeah, he wanted to have an athletic guy. Yeah, he saw what Mahomes and Lamar have done to him. I think he got just really, really excited about that part of it. And then, of course, the other things. And he's supposed to be a great kid. And, you know, there were a lot of reasons not to take him. You know, it's North Dakota State, lower level competition. He hadn't played that much. He hadn't run a two-minute drive ever. um, And he hadn't necessarily shown that accuracy in college. And, look. Josh Allen is skewing us all because I think it's the first and only time in football history that a guy has appreciably improved his accuracy in a glaring way in the pros. But, you know, you can somewhat improve your accuracy, and I think that's what Kyle's counting on. So um, there are a lot of reasons not to take him. I think the brain, the intelligence, to me, that was a big, big reason he ultimately did.
3: Yeah, I think from from what I gathered, it's a big bet not only on the physical traits like you mentioned, but just who he is as a person and what they think he will grow into based on his work ha- work ethic and habits, um, on top of the the physical tools. And there's also like, you know, a, a, a couple things. First, I think you and I heard the same thing on that Friday when you reported that you believed that you you were pretty firm in saying it was Mac Jones. And I had actually gotten something from inside the building um, later that Friday and because I had always thought it was going to be Trey. Just like my own evaluation, like s- seeing where the league's going, like the fact that Kyle Shanahan has to beat Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, right. all these guys was like, well, the guy that would make sense in that form is Trey. But the pushback was always like, well, Kyle wants somebody who can run his offense and run it to perfection, and that's Mac. What I can what I do feel comfortable saying, there were a lot of people inside the building who thought it was Mac.
2: Yeah. Well, it
3: wasn't it I don't think it was this. I mean, maybe it may I'm I might be wrong, but like my my interpretation is that Kyle and John and Prague and Jed and whoever else
2: Adam Peters Adam
3: Peters kept it all very close to the vest while there was a substantial number of people inside the building that thought it was gonna be Mac. And I think a lot of people even, you know, I think Mac Jones's camp thought it was Mac. I even think Trey Lance's camp thought it was Mac. Like, so I just, you know, people talk about, I don't know. I don't want to like get into like the whole criticizing reporters and sources and all that stuff. But it's, it's, I I do, I I, the dynamics behind the scenes of like how much pushback there was from the personnel department that might have wanted Trey versus, you know, I think Mike Shanahan is, is somebody who might have liked Mac a lot. Like, I, I don't know, what, what was your interpretation of all those dynamics as it was happening?
2: Well, I know a lot of people who know Kyle really well. Um, I, obviously, I know Mike. Um, I um, To me, the front office thing didn't feel significant. It may have been, but it didn't feel... My instincts were, if you have Kyle Shanahan as your coach, you've got to let him make this decision, I mean, this he's never going to make a more important call, and he's the guy who has to, you know, quarterback whisper. It's his offense. So, you know, and Kyle does, you know, I don't know if the – you know, I don't know if the general public and, you know, Poughkeepsie understands that Kyle really has personnel control. Um, It doesn't mean he has to win every battle or that he bosses John around or that he doesn't let John make a lot of decisions. But, you know, if push came to shove, Well, if push came to shove, it would be Jed, right? Or Denise. But, you know, barring an ownership decree, it's really Kyle's call. And in that instance, it should be Kyle's call. Um, Those (laughs) say this delicately. Those who believe the theory, conspiracy or otherwise, that Kyle wanted Mac when he made the trade and then talked himself out of that slash into Trey – would cite a couple of things. They would say the noise that said you can't give up that much for a guy who doesn't have those glaring physical traits, who doesn't necessarily have as high a ceiling, who looks more ordinary, and importantly, who might just be there at 12, which we don't know if that would have happened because – Had they been waiting around at 12 for him, somebody else could have jumped it. We don't know. But he did end up going at a place where, yeah, you could have had him at 12 on paper. So that's one thing that could have gotten in his head. And then, you know, I don't know. I have no idea if the fact that people are out there saying Kyle doesn't like black quarterbacks or can't get along, which is, I know, not true. And... Kyle knows that we all know, I think, that that's not true. And it's, you know, but some people might think, well, you know, is he going to take Mac Jones there and listen to people now for the end of time saying, he took a guy who would have been there, was not that special, and he just likes white guys. And, oh, by the way, Trey Lance turned out to be a freak like Josh Allen and Mac Jones turned out to be like, I don't know, Andy Dalton. Well, that would not be a good reason if that is all true, but that's kind of what's out there. But I guess the bottom line is we may never know, um, you know, unless I can get Kyle drunk enough. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) we may never know. And it really doesn't matter because whatever – went through that beautiful mind of his um, during before the trade. And then after he definitely had his shot at any of those three guys and he knows what's on the line and he will be judged accordingly. And he took the guy that he thought was best. Now, you know, is he looking at him now going, the ball's not going where I want it to Um, his arm. I mean, again, like the arm fatigue thing, I've been told that he missed some drills and possibly OTA days or day because the arm didn't feel great. They've been changing the windup a little bit. You know, Brandon Ayuk kind of said something at the podium, I think yesterday that basically said, we don't know what this guy's arm feels like as an explanation for some throws that we all saw Sunday that didn't look so great. So um, I just know that if you're, Um, I'm not saying, oh, no, he's got a bum arm. I mean, the the Rams should be way more worried about that with Stafford. Um, I'm just saying if you you are either tweaking your windup and changing it or you don't really trust it completely and you're kind of trying to throw through some, you know, tweaks, as with like a golf swing, maybe it ends up putting some stress in areas that, you know, makes you a little tired. So those would be the concerns. And like all of you guys, I mean, like everyone, I'm really anxious to see him play, you know, even in the preseason and then certainly in Chicago on September 11th.
1: So there's concerns about or were or are concerns about arm fatigue, accuracy. Was there ever a point where they considered Lance sitting this year and rolling with Garoppolo for 2022?
2: It's a great question. Uh, evidently, no, right? Because they've got the ultimate hedge if they want it. You know, they could just, they could they could afford it. I mean, it's not my money. It's <laughs> Denise and John and Jed's money. They, you know, they could afford it. I know they could fit it under the cap. Um, you know, Jimmy might not like it and might make it awkward, but they could afford it. You have that hedge available to you. But, um, you know, I just think, yeah, A, it's a good sign that they are like, screw it, we're rolling with this guy. So they obviously believe in in him enough and their ability to to get him rolling. And, and B, um, you know, I think you recognize rightly that in today's NFL, when you make a trade like that, you got to go, you know. And it's different when it's Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. I mean got Aaron Rodgers then yeah just keep the dude on the bench forever but um, <laughs> you know uh like I said Jimmy as as wonderful as Jimmy has been in some ways he has frustrated Kyle in a lot of ways in one way Jimmy's the perfect quarterback for Kyle which is I think his temperament is unique in that when Kyle loses his mind on the sidelines as he is wont to do uh at coaches and quarterbacks and when it doesn't go the way he wants it to go, um, Jimmy's amazingly, you know, adept at letting that just roll off him and, you know, going on to the next play. So Kyle um, may miss that.
3: <laughs> so you, you had mentioned Matt Stafford um, and, you know, I, you hear Sean McVay mentioned that it's, it's more like a baseball pitcher's injury and that
2: great, yeah that sounds like like awesome all i know is like football players will play through a torn biceps or triceps and baseball players slept on their shoulder wrong and they're on the dl so yeah i don't like hearing that
3: yeah so i mean do you have any additional intel on like how serious this is like is there yeah. a chance he has like a UCL tear and he's just going to try to tough it out? Because I know he's the type of player who toughs out injuries sort of regardless of what they are.
2: Yeah, no, I do have some intel because I did go down there um, a few days ago and I, I did talk to Sean McVeigh. And, um, you know, I think his words were better Kyle than me when I told him about the Chronicle gig. And, uh, <laughs> we were laughing. But, uh, you know, Sean, I don't think is freaking out. So I guess that's good news if you're a Rams fan. But, you know, again, I covered Joe Montana, who felt his elbow not, you know, felt something in his elbow in training camp, ultimately had season-ending surgery. The next year came back looking awesome in camp, and then I'll never forget in Rockland, threw one pass and just came back off and ultimately had another surgery. And he did come back for the second half of the last game of the season at candlestick after they'd clinched everything and had a dramatic, you know, couple of touchdown passes. And one of which was Mike Shanahan called the play that I guess George Seifert had not wanted him to call, but um, had not set it over the headset. And George wasn't thrilled when Joe threw yet another touchdown pass, but they got over it. But um, yeah, the, um, you know, I do get a little weird about elbows because I saw the greatest of all time lose two years of his career um, with elbow stuff. You know, when Roethlisberger hurt the elbow, I was kind of like, oh, man, will he ever – you know, is this going to be a long, long thing? So, yeah, I mean, I think – I don't – my sense is it's not already torn. It, it's kind of what Sean says it is, and it's something where Sean's like, why would I – remember, Sean's like, gonna stop playing important players in the preseason like his – second year basically and was just like why so I think Sean's attitude is like dude I know if I get Matthew Stafford to week one he's going to be able to practice a couple days and play through pain Um, that's I don't think the concern I think the concern is you know when it's not right and you're throwing through it is there going to be a moment where oh now it doesn't, you know, maybe I tore it now. And I think that's kind of what happened with Ben. It was feeling weird and then it happened. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, as much as I revile the over secrecy about injuries that is endemic in our world, uh, if you're a defender and you know that Matthew Stafford's elbow isn't right, I mean, are you trying to dislodge the ball? Are you trying to sack him? Or are you trying to chop on that arm as hard as you can or fall on it. You know, I mean, I, you know, the late Tony Sargusa, who I, you know, I missed dearly and unfortunately just passed away. um, Can still picture it now in the um, 2000 uh, AFC championship game at the Oakland Coliseum, Rich Gannon, the MVP goes back to pass for the home team. Tony Sargusa busts in, Takes him down and basically sits on his shoulder, and in comes I think Billy Joe Hover. and people don't really remember that Tony Siragusa messed the shoulder, up, but they do remember that the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, I, I you know my kids early in the Warriors run, I think 2015 or 16 I was watching with my sons who were still in the house then, and I remember saying to them, man, look at Steph. So good. Imagine if you could just obliterate him and knock him out of the game. And I go, man, LeBron is like unstoppable right now. Imagine if you could just F LeBron up. I go, that's the NFL. That's basically the sport of football. You can't really do it in basketball. It's frowned upon highly. But in football, if you get a clean shot at Tom Brady, in theory, you could – greatly enhance your chances of winning
1: you think the nfl product is better now in 2022 than it was 2025 20, 30 years ago
2: it's better for um you know the futures of the men who play it which i get and i applaud that um is it better when you can't get blasted across the middle by ronnie lott or john lynch <laughs> i mean probably not you know i i mean aesthetically is it better um you know i don't know i i don't love all the you know some of them are health and safety which again that's a good and that's well intended but i just don't love the how hard it's become to play defense um specifically in the secondary and um you know i like fullbacks that's why it's cool to cover the niners cuz they have the best one and he's also a swiss army knife that is literally the key to what they do offensively a lot of times mismatch wise and versatility wise. So um you know I I don't want to be one of those old like eh, it was better back then. I made the mistake one time though. I was doing a story for NFL.com a few years ago, maybe about six, seven years ago, about how hard it is to play the quarterback position now, right? Like the terminology and the complexity of defenses and so much going on and the coach talking in your headset and I made the mistake. I was at Broncos camp, but I was sitting there with Elway, who I know very well and covered. And, uh, I said, uh, Hey man, I just, I'm doing the story. Can you just, you know, talk to me about how hard it is now to play quarterback. And he's just kind of looking at me and he's like, dude, he's like, I can't even hit him. And he's like, it's so easy. And, you know, <laughs> went on this rant and I was like, yeah, okay, my bad. I, so now it's my shtick. I was out to dinner with a big group that included Marino, uh, another guy covered and loved. And uh, I, I said, Dan, I said, if you were able to play under today's rules, how many yards would you throw for it? He goes, a oh, fucking <laughs> <laughs> Um
3: Speaking of defense, I, I do want to ask you about the 49ers defense because you know, for all the talk about Trey Lance this offseason, I think the defense is still going to carry the water for this team, much like it did for for the majority of last year. And, you know, health permitting, like, the fact that they got Chervarius Ward, who got off to a really nice start to camp, yeah. who they think is probably going to end up being worth more than what they paid him, um, combined with the pass rush and, like, a pretty – it's pretty crazy how deep – like they, they probably have four starting caliber edge rushers. Yeah, but up, you know, like with Kamoko Torre and Samson Ebukam and Drake Jackson now, and obviously Nick Bosa. Like, are do do you think generally the Niners' defense is getting a little overlooked in that? Like, this ceiling of this defense could approach what it was in 2019, and that as good as Trey or as important as the Trey Lance story is. The Niners might be a team that's like bottom three in just overall pass attempts, runs the shit out of the ball, and then just ends up being a team that relies on its defense.
2: I mean, well, first of all, you know, how many teams could you go down the list and say they've got a guy who clearly is in the top three at his position at as many positions as you could with the Niners, right? And right. Yushek and Kittle, Trent Williams, Fred Warner, Bosa, um, you know, and we'll see. Uh, Who else? Um, But, I mean, that's five no-brainers. And you could put Debo probably in that conversation, so maybe six. So, okay, um, 2019, I mean, so here's what has to happen for it to be even in the conversation of 2019. You know, Buckner was unbelievable. And they made a decision, we'll pay Armstead a a little less than Buckner and not Buckner, because they thought – they you know, by drafting Kinlaw, that was supposed to make up for it. Well, Kinlaw supposedly like I saw him, he looks looks like he's in shape. He's coming back from the ACL. You know, if you told me that guy's gonna be healthy and, you know, blow stuff up inside, you know, in a way that even approaches how how good Buckner is, then yeah, because you've got Armstead and both. And Bosa. now you also had D Ford. You know, and, you know, people now go, D Ford, that guy's, you know, but D Ford in 2019, that's a real edge. You know, those other guys are good. Other than, you know, Bosa's amazing. The other three are good. You know, D Ford was, you know, that having D Ford with Bosa's kind of like, you know, not to mention Buckner and, Ar- and Armstead inside, but that's kind of like you look at the AFC West now, you're like, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, you know, like, yeah. Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory. And Randy Gregory doesn't deserve that, but Bradley Chubb. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, you know, and then Kansas City has Fred Clark. And, um, yeah, I just think um, the linebackers are exceptional, especially Warner, who is, you know, as good as it gets. You know, one of the best players in the league, period. Um, Ward gives the – possibility that that secondary could get really really good uh the other ward is very good Jimmy uh you know mostly has some real juice to him and you know so now um you know I I just think you'd have one of those other pass rushers would really have to announce himself and Kim law has to be special those things happen then yeah maybe
1: I want to jump back over and, and keep talking about quarterbacks for a second um there was some reporting yesterday that the Niners are going to hang on to Jimmy Garoppolo as long as they need to. So like August 30th is that was there, was there ever a chance that they were going to do him a solid and like release him early and say, Hey, go figure it out. Or is their plan, has their plan been the whole time to hang on to him? Even if it means, Hey, you're going to get cut on August 30th and screw your chances of catching on somewhere to start the year.
2: Um, yeah. A don't know. Um, they make it sound like they're cool and Jimmy's cool and there's a plan. So I mean Jimmy could certainly make it up more awkward. Um, but to me it's not August 30th. If you really wanna bleed it out, I think September 10th, the day the the afternoon or evening before the opener is when rosters are set for the opener. And that's when that money would become get he has a vested veteran, he could take all that money if they got him. So if you don't want to be on the hook for the entire amount of money, and remember, it's different than the Browns. They were going to be on the hook no matter what for that, mm-hmm. whatever for Baker. The 49ers can cut him Saturday in Chicago, um, his hometown. That'd be nice. Um, <laughs> they could cut him Saturday in Chicago and be like, yo, we owe you nothing. And, by the way, they could call him Monday and go, hey, want to come back? And we'll pay you $7 million or whatever. Um, so, to me, it's not really even August 30th if you're willing to carry what's essentially a 52-man roster and worry about the 53rd after you cut Jimmy. Um, if you're trying to do him a solid, you probably would have tried to get rid of him now, um, you know, what they wanted was to try to trade him after the season, but he went and had shoulder surgery without consulting them. That freaked a lot of teams out. Um, Teams don't want to pay that money now. So a trade would have to be, okay, we'll give you a little something for him because we know you're going to cut him. But Jimmy, if we do that, can you do it for 8 million? you know, so he's involved in that too. Um, If I'm the Niners and I only care about the Niners, and I don't care about Jimmy or the possible consequences, I would wait at least till right before that first game because, you know, what if a dude gets hurt on in the Friday practice for another team and they're desperate, and now you could have probably traded Jimmy for a two or a one, um, and you, you just cut him because, oh, no, August 30th. Now, you might have other reasons for wanting to do it then. Um, they clearly are sending a very strong message to Jimmy, to Trey, and to all of us, and to the players that Jimmy's done, it's Trey's team. But, you know, you could try to bleed it out just so you either, A, can get lucky by someone else's injury, or B, not – Hate yourself forever because you could have gotten lucky if you'd waited a few more days, but you just said screw it and cut him on August 30th. And then someone, you know, tore his ACL. Um, but I, yeah, I wish I could tell you more. I, I do not know.
3: Do you think there might be an element of, you know, them just wanting to? be in control of the situation because like hey maybe Matt Stafford's elbow injury is serious yeah. and they don't want him to go to the Rams or
2: oh no I don't think they're scared I, I mean that's everyone said that with Seattle I don't think they're scared
3: yeah I don't I, think well, they're scared they're, they
2: might be I could see Kyle not wanting him to go to the Rams if Sean is screwed and has to play John Wolford because that makes sense the Rams just beat him in the NFC championship game their rivals yeah. Sean and Kyle you know are very competitive, and Sean just won the Super Bowl. Oh, here, take Jimmy and give yourself a chance. I would agree on that. Seattle, I just rolled my eyes. I mean, they seem to be not trying to win, Seattle. They got rid of (laughs) Russell and Bobby Wagner. They're staging a Geno, Drew Locke, you know, quarterback competition. And I just don't – I know they've beaten the Niners a lot, and no one has had more respect than I have for that whole 10-year era. It was incredible, but – I don't think, I think the Seahawks, as we know, done, And, and I think they would give them Jimmy for anything. Um, but yeah, I would agree on the Rams. If the Rams were in a tough spot, you wouldn't want to help them. That's, you know, I don't think he'd do it. I don't think he'd do it for the Packers either if Aaron got hurt.
1: <laughs> uh, it, last thing real quick. Where'd you watch the Warriors win the title?
2: Ah, that's a great question because I did watch two titles in whatever they call that wretched stadium in Cleveland, and then subsequently went to victory parties afterwards. So, <laughs> um, And for those of you who think I'm a pig, I would just say this. If you grew up in Los Angeles as the only Warrior fan in your school, and everyone clowned you all the time forever because they were Laker fans, including the guy who ended up becoming the head coach of the Warriors now, he knows. So he, like he, I, he doesn't even see it as me being a pig. He sees it as like, yeah, like this is the guy who should be here. So um, I did this one. I watched, um, you know, just in my house. Um, I went to game one and, you know, that was sobering. And I was heartened that afterwards via text, I was able to quickly ascertain that, the head coach had the exact same reaction I did, which is if those dudes are going to shoot like that, like whatever, you know, we're done. (laughs) And then uh, I was, you know, I didn't get to see a lot of game three and there were, there was a lot of freaking out and see, I don't know, maybe this will tie into Kyle. Like my favorite as someone who's been friends with Steve forever other than seeing him get tossed or get teed up, which is my absolute favorite. Like that, <laughs> the moments for me that I've loved the most and cherished the most are when he's had to problem solve. And, you know, he people forget he had to do it on the fly in the first year. They were down 2-1 to mm-hmm. Memphis, and he got David Lee involved. They were down 2-1 to Cleveland, and he started Andre. And there have been some moments, like down 3-1 Oklahoma City, the a couple of those Houston series. You know, Steph's been out. KD's been out in playoffs, you know, and certainly the the year where they had to, you know, basically play without KD and then, you know, probably would have forced the game seven if Clay had held up. So I I just love those. I love when I when I see him problem solve. And so I have a lot of faith in his ability to do it. So when they were down two one, I was like, he'll I, I look forward to watching him fight his way out of it. But then um I did get to watch um, game four, which is to me the, you know, the incredible one I'll never forget. And it was you know, my wife and I at home. And I think all three of our kids were in different places. And, um, you know, family text chain was very, you know, uh, lively and tense. And uh, I think I said in the second quarter, because my daughter couldn't watch and she's like, what's happening. And I said, one of the greatest humans ever to step on you know ever to play the sport is imposing his will um and will not be denied and so I was like oddly calm and then you know it got to the point where I said there's a word I'm gonna there's a word that I have that I'm not gonna say until this is finished and you know the word was Jordan-esque so um you know that was uh man I just I don't know if I could have handled that game in person, game four. <laughs> you know, the, the mass holes and you know <laughs> the whole thing. But uh man, that was uh that was amazing. Where were you guys?
3: Uh I was at home in Sacramento watching. Um Kyle, were you were
1: you at home? I was at my folks' house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We throw a shindig for every game. The
3: um the that thing is- that I like there are a lot of crazy warrior stats. I, the one stat I keep coming back to, which blows my mind, I think they're twenty three and two in playoff series since Steve Kerr became coach. Wow! It's insane. Like,
1: and they, and that, how many in the finals?
2: Yeah, they've won at least ro- one road game in every one of Steph's career playoff series.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. It's so, oh. <laughs> it's, it's not quite it's not quite the Chris Gatling, um, <laughs> Joe Smith. Uh, Tom Gugliotta Warriors. Oh, I,
2: I go I go back even. I mean, I did get to enjoy 75. That was amazing. I was nine and it was so delicious. And then they were the number one seed the next year and flamed out against the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. And then it quickly degenerated. I, I got a reprieve when I covered them those couple of years because then, you know, you stop brooding. You don't care. But, you know, then uh, I got stuck back in because I was NFL only and <laughs> you know, that we believe. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm stuck. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we, my sons were really young. We, we had a lot of fun watching the Mark Jackson years and those series and realizing Draymond was like, Whoa, that guy's like really good. And, you know, uh, and then obviously when Steve came, I just, you know, are you going
3: to, are him. you going to be getting back into Warriors coverage in your new role? Great
2: question. Um, You know, I mean, on paper, journalistically, it would be weird because of the <laughs> Steve, on the other hand, it's kind of disclosed. And I mean, I worked for NFL Network for eight years. So like, no, nothing we learned in journalism school applies anymore. I worked for the league I covered. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I think I would, I'd be very open to it. You know, I mean, Ann and is our. You know, Scott Osler's a legend and Ann Gillian is our, you know, our Steph Curry. So I feel like anything I could do to, to supplement. Two
3: friends uh, of the pod. And,
2: and I would. But, uh, you know, um, I Steve. So Steve and I co-wrote a column together in our high school paper at Palisades High. The paper was called The Tideline. And we wrote a column called The Riptide which lived up or down to its name, depending on how you look at it. And uh, so Steve, you know, I I told Steve very early on that I was talking to the Chronicle and he's been very enthusiastic. He said, uh, you know, let's bring back the Riptide. And I told him that probably if I do write a warrior column, the first column I would want to write is, you know, Steve Kerr is a great person. You guys don't even know better person than he is a coach. He's accomplished so much in this game. But the game has passed him by <laughs> it's <is> time <laughs> to hang it up. <laughs> like, just come out of the gate hot and we'll... Just
1: come know. out firing. I love it. That would be excellent. What has right. he
2: ever won? <laughs>
1: I didn't think... I didn't think... I was at the 2012 playoff game, Niner Saints... And I didn't think there was ever going to be a game that, like, surpassed where, like, in the moment, I'm like, this is a thing. Like, this is what, about middle of the third quarter of game four, it was like, oh, this is just a thing. Like, this is going to be one of those, I remember exactly where I was when all this went down. and then I when chills hit- just now when you were talking about
2: it. And when he hit the one, sh- I mean, you know, Draymond, for all his struggles that game, got him that bounce pass just, you know, in perfect stride with Derek White's hand, mm-hmm completely in his face as he got it and just boom you know <laughs> ball that was like you know, incredible that's as good, it's so as, good good as it could possibly
3: be. all time. right mike well thank you so much for joining us uh again congratulations uh at the new at, with your with your new job at the chronicle you guys can all read them there um at the chronicle and mike i'll probably see you <laughs> yeah. at practice or there, at game some sometime and sometime soon there.
2: You'll see me way too much, Kyle. You'll see me way too much. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can involve uh, malt beverages in the next conversation. Oh,
3: if you yeah, – Please. Absolutely. All right, Mike. uh Thanks for listening, everybody. Subscribe, rate, review. We will talk to you soon.